want to get through this because Dune got released tonight on HBO Max. Mm, I didn't like the original. I didn't read the books. I think it's wasted on me, but I'm excited for you. I read all of the books. I'm your host, Danny Paul. Across from me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon himself, the Captain of California, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Danny, I like that intro. That was uh, sounded like a little Danny meets Barry White there. I want to find some more interesting titles for you, like uh, Sheriff of Ghost Town, you know, shit like that. But it's going to come out. Uh, there's got to be a got to be an L title I can think of. The Laird of Loathing. We'll figure it out. Anyway, how you been? Good week. It'll come organic. You know, it's good. It's a good week. Things, good things are happening. Low stress. I actually got two rounds of golf in this week, Again? which was very nice. Oh, yeah. life. And, well, I try to make it work. Do you play uh, them both the same day or do you spread them out? I spread these. These two were on two separate days. Again. Triple B and I went out and played. We had a midweek vacation day yeah. and that was nice because we both needed it. And, uh, Went golfing over in the IE and Triple B got her first birdie. Oh. 100, 165 her. yards out with a driver, put it about two feet from the pin. Friend of the show. Yes. Killing it. Excellent. So that was and, fun. Uh, I saw an empty bottle of Angel's Envy among those photographs. Yeah, it was it. Yep. Okay. Right. Even even when we're golfing, Triple B brings. Take you 18 bourbon. holes to put, dust that puppy, huh? <laughs> It was it wasn't the the full size, <laughs> but yes, it was gracious. That girl is a champ. We talked about this offline. She is for sure. We talked about this offline, so I'm pretty sure we know what each other's brown is. But why don't we share? Because today we are recording on the 21st of October in the year 2021, which is also known as National Mescal Day. Mescal. You are partaking of mescal as well as myself. Why don't you talk about your mescal, sir? Well, here's what I know about it, which is very little. I, I can I can tell you all that I uh, I feel like I more, know more than the average person about brown, uh, mm-hmm. especially bourbon. Go on. I know very little about the tequila family or mescal. Uh, even though mezcal is not tequila, it, it is made from agave. The one I'm having tonight is uh, Espadin, E-S-P-A-D-I-N. It's a, a mezcal um, artisanal. There's three different. I, I did a little bit of research myself on it. It's pro- it sounds just like it's uh, the tequila family has a Reposado Blanco and Añejo. Mm-hmm. There are three families here, and this one is the artisanal. And uh, it seems to be one of the more popular ones because almost all the ones on the shelf seem to be the artisanal type mezcal. And so, yeah, that's what I'm having tonight. I even did a little research. How do I drink it properly? Because I, I don't want to. I've had it every once in a while. Somebody says, here, try this. And uh, I did have a bottle on the shelf, I think, at one point that disappeared. But, uh, you know, I'm just not a big drinker uh, of this stuff. So. But given that it's a holiday and that if tequila and bourbon made a baby, it would be mezcal. So I'm very, I'm very excited to uh, introduce this back in the family. So I'm going for the first sip here. I like that. Go for it. On the nose, it smells like tequila. It does. It's neat. It doesn't taste like tequila. It is as if tequila and bourbon had a baby. It's very smooth. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of hug whatsoever. And it has a lot of different, almost, I mean, it bites. It bites like a, like a whiskey a little bit, but it, it has some serious flavor to it. It doesn't taste like rubbing alcohol. It's good. I'm smoky, for it. Smoky and silky. And so, yes, it is, it is a, a lighter version of of the brown 
And of course it comes in different colors, but, uh, it's kind of, it's Mexico's answer to whiskey, I think. Cause they did make a whiskey. As you remember from last episode, I had their, uh, Mexican Tucky hug. Like that thing was harsh, but, uh, <laughs> it finished well. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo on it. It was actually pretty good. Uh, what are you having tonight? My, I paused my around the brown because I got to Spain. And when I went down to Total Wine, I realized that the Spain brown was $125 a bottle. Mm-hmm. And I thought for this mm-hmm. kitschy little jaunt around the world that that was a little high. So mm-hmm. I instead decided to bend the rules a little bit. And today we're having Mezcal for National Mezcal Game, which of course has a Spanish influence to it. Ding, 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 oh. ding, ding. Relevant. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week, to finish off the Around the Brown, the last stop on the world tour will be Israel. We'll be oh. having some brown from Tel Aviv. But today it is Dos Hombres, Mezcal Artesanal, from our Breaking Bad boys, Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul, one of my favorites. H-O-A Mexico, senores. What did that run you? Do you remember? This was, uh, it's been cheaper before, and you know, as we've talked about, and we probably will talk about during business news, uh, prices are going up. So it's now 65. Okay. Yeah. Mine was 40. I remember finding it's it 50 once upon a time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but it's good. It's, it's exactly the way you described it. It's, it's smoky like brown and it's, and it's light like tequila and it smells like it, but it doesn't taste like it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right on. Let's, uh, let's continue talking about Mezcal as we get into, uh, some of the ins and outs here of this blessed drink on this. Blessed this is day. exciting. I should have brought my popcorn. I want to sit back and listen and, and this learn. This could be good. Professor. Without further ado, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? Um, brown. Let's go for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Mescal, not to be confused with mescaline, is a distilled alcoholic beverage made from any type of maguey. The word mescal comes from the Nahuatl Mexicali, which means oven-cooked agave. From metal and iscali, traditionally the word mezcal has been used generally in Mexico for all maguey spirits and continues to be used for any maguey spirits, whether these spirits have been legally certified as mezcal or not. Interesting. Agave or maguey are endemic to Mexico and found globally. More than 70% of mezcal is made in the Mexican state of Oaxaca. It can also be made in Durango, Guanajuato, Guerrero, San Luis Potosi, Tamaulipas, Zacatecas, Michoacán, and the recently approved Puebla. A saying attributed to Oaxaca regards the drink as para todo mal, mezcal, y para todo bien, también. For everything bad, mezcal, and for everything good as well. Rock on. <laughs> I, first, I would like to comment on how beautifully you can read that uh, multilingual paragraph, because I, like I would butcher that. Fucking yeah. throwing that shit down. Yeah, that's yeah, impressive. So here's where we get to my Spain connection. You ready? I'm ready. Whether distilled drinks were produced in Mexico before the Spanish conquest is unknown. The Spaniards were introduced to native fermented drinks such as pulque made from the maguey plant. Soon the conquistadors began experimenting with the agave plant to find a way to make a distillable fermented mash, a la brown. The result was mezcal. Uh, in the 21st century, mezcal is still made from the heart of the agave plant called the piña in much the same way as it was 200 years ago. In Mexico, mezcal is generally consumed straight and has a strong smoky flavor. Though other types of mezcal are not as popular as tequila, made specifically from the blue agave plant, Mexico does export the product mostly to Japan and the United States. Surprise, surprise. So what I understand from uh, Mr. Cranston, which is who turned me on to Mezcal in the first place, hence I drink his, is uh, only the blue agave steamed is tequila. Mm-hmm. So if it's blue agave smoked or any other agave steamed or smoked, it falls within the realm of Mezcal. So the way that you can make an easy conduction, uh, 
comparison between the two is all tequilas are mezcal. Not all mezcals are tequila. Ah, you know, I honestly, I was having one of those moments as you were, you were speaking through there that I just had to lock on to the one word. Magwai. Isn't that the name of the creature from Gremlins? I can't get by it. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always wonder where that came from. Somehow yeah, there's so a connection the, between mezcal so the actual, and The Spanish pronunciation, Gremlins. I think, is Magwai because the G is supposed to be silent. But I think of, I think of Magwai, like Gizmo. I certainly think of Gremlins. Mm-hmm. But I also think of the bad guy from Last of the Mohicans. Magwai. Ah. Magwai said... Understand English very well. <laughs> okay, so, well, thank, uh, thank you for understand is that yeah. all bourbons are whiskey, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. In the same mm-hmm. sense that all tequilas are mezcal, but not all mezcals are tequila. Okay. Uh, in Mexico, mezcal is generally drunk straight rather than mixed in a cocktail. Hence, what we do tonight to celebrate. Mezcal is generally not mixed with any other liquids, but is often accompanied with sliced oranges, lemon or lime, sprinkled with a mixture of ground fried larvae, which is a real thing. There is worm salt. My sister got me a bottle of it. And you put the worm mm-hmm. salt in the mezcal. So ground fried larvae, which is worm salt, ground chili peppers, and salt called sal de gusano, which literally translates as worm salt. There you go. All right. Talk, talk to me about worm salt. So I can try that. Myself. So yeah, you it comes in a little shaker and it says worm salt on it. Mm-hmm. And my sister sent it to me because she's like, you got to try it. It's super awesome. And I kind of, I give my sister latitude on a lot of cuisine stuff because she's family and we have a similar palate. Um, but my, my brother-in-law's family's from Guadalajara. And so obviously he knows the area. So when we go in and we look into things that are traditionally Mexican, you kind of fall back on, all right, what do you got? And so when he was down there, he got this stuff and it comes in a little shaker bottle and it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's ground chili peppers and salt with technically fried larva and they call it worm salt, but that's basically what it is, is it's spicy salt. And oh. so our, our friend Queen Nugan could probably bring some of his Lowry's and I don't know if that's sacrilege or not, but it's, it's pretty much the same idea as it's spicy salt. What, what is the point of the fried larva in this concoction? What does it bring to the, the, the flavor profile? I think if you want to avoid having the actual worm in the bottle. Yeah. Because, you know, there's some bottles that have the worm. I think yeah, but I just thought that was a, a kitschy thing. Does that have a purpose? That's the a worm? Other no, than the worm? No, the worm's a thing. Yeah, I don't, it, it just feels like the, it's a deer. Uh, it was one of the poltergeists with, uh, with Coach, you know, the dad from Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he drank the worm, but the poltergeist was the worm. And so eventually the worm, he vomited the worm. Pretty gross. Check it out on YouTube. We're not going to go into it further. Anyway, let's finish well, up. Very informational. The festival. The state of Oaxaca sponsors the International Mezcal Festival every year in the capital city, Oaxaca de Juarez. There, locals and tourists can sample and buy a large variety of mezcals made in the state. Mezcals from other states, such as Guerrero, Guanajuato, Zacatecas, also participate. This festival was started in 1997 to accompany the yearly Gualguetza Festival. In 2009, the festival had over 50,000 visitors and brought in 4 million pesos to the economy. So, cheers to you, sir. Cheers to you, sir. For some mezcal. Oh, I hear ice in there. You didn't go neat, huh? Yeah, I got a little mini ice with this fridge that I just bought. And so it adds a it adds a unique kind of thing to it with these little tiny ice cubes that look like chocolates. Anyway, that's mm. uh, that's our brown badger for the evening. Thank you, thank you for edifying me on this edification for you. <laughs> I like it, right? Yes. You're gonna buy it. You get a free copy of School Days. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Today's business news, we revisit a popular topic on the Brown Bulletin, which has to do with supply chain disruptions 
And this one comes to us from the bbc.com forward slash news forward slash business dated 14 September. I held on to it because I've been keeping an eye on this thing. It's kind of a weird hobby for me. I don't know how to describe mm-hmm. it, but the idea of all of this happening outside of a port. Uh, what I did find was very interesting, Leon, is you asked this question on a previous episode. How did they not know this was coming? And what I mm-hmm. found out is that something like four or six dollars for every one dollar is dedicated to the ports of the eastern seaboard in federal funding. And they have just completely ignored Los Angeles. Mm. So that's one thing. Uh, what I also understand from watching Fareed Zakaria on CNN when he talked to a supply chain professional, the basic thing is it's a perfect storm of lots of things. So it's not dopes down at the port. That's not fair. That's not an, uh, an accurate characterization. It is, we're going more and more digital all the time with the rise of Amazon, of Walmart and Target trying to catch up, of all of Mm -hmm. the e-commerce business on a pretty steady growth clip if you look at 2019 numbers. Then you have lockdown. Lockdown is everybody wants it online. And so all of Mm -hmm. a sudden they're trying to, one, order products to live their life from home in mass scale. But two, they also have to work from home, which now they need work hardware at home. So then they're buying laptops, they're buying screens, they're buying webcams, they're buying headsets. They're buying all of the things that they need that, again, needs to get shipped to them. So you've got the work demand and then you've got the life demand. And all of that stacks on top of themselves along with COVID. And so Mm -hmm. while we've talked before about the shortages at the ports based on their ability to have warehouse space, truckers, size of the cranes and so forth. All of this came to a head. And I think now the latest news is that California is on 24 hour mandatory operations. Uh They're just running these things overnight Uh, because you, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but that whole big oil spill in Huntington beach, Uh that was an anchor that dragged across a pipeline, right? That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And uh, I was I was out there uh, Huntington Beach this weekend with Q playing volleyball. And it is a disturbing backdrop to look over the, the ocean and just see hundreds of ships just waiting out there. And although I believe everything you said, and I don't want to shoot it down, I, I wanted you to finish your point. Um, I'm going to follow up with hogwash. Absolute <laughs> fucking hogwash. Speak. Yeah, it's, it's, look, I get it. People are buying stuff online. They were beforehand. You know, the, you can't discount the timing. You can't discount, um, that it was, you know, prior to COVID, it, this wasn't an issue. Now it is. And it's not because everybody's ordering things online. People still buy shit. You still have this much disposable income and you buy shit. It didn't matter if it, if that shit was being shipped to a, a store or if it was being shipped to your house, shit was coming overseas and going into your hands. And the, I think the bigger issue here is, is, and, and it's not the poor people. I know, I know we may have called that out in the past. These, these people are making a killing, especially now. I know they're running 24 seven. I actually talked to somebody down at the beach who, um, he used to be a longshoreman. Uh, his, he has family members that are longshoremen. They're pulling in, well over uh, $200,000 a year mm-hmm. uh, doing what they're doing. Uh, they have no problem working these hours and the extra overtime. The ships that are parked out there that are losing money every day, they, they bob in the water. Uh, they have no problem paying a premium. This isn't a uh, supply and demand issue. This isn't a labor issue and an infrastructure issue. And I don't mean infrastructure like it's being touted on, you know, what the white house is trying to push and everything like that. I'm talking about other issues. You, t- you talked about storage. Um, you talked, you know, it's, it's, it's coordination. I don't, I can't tell you I'm not in it. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to disrespect anybody that's busting their ass to make this move, but I will tell you it's complete garbage to hear that it's anything other than a lot of people <clears throat> dropping the ball and not owning up for decisions that were made. And now we're, now we're feeling the impact. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all there is to it. 
I don't think that anything else dramatically changed. People need shit. Now, if, if things were sitting in ports and there wasn't enough Amazon drivers to drop you, drop it off at your house. Okay. I'll buy that. I don't, that's not the issue. The, the boats are sitting out in the water waiting to drop stuff off. So it's, I just think that uh, a lot of people at the top were asleep at the wheel and weren't paying attention. And you, you can't pull on certain levels of levers of the economy. And this is why I wish Mr. Jones was here because he could be a lot more articulate. Uh, you can't pull on certain levels, levers of the economy and then assume there isn't going to be downstream impacts. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you tell everyone to sit home. You tell everyone it's not safe to work. You tell everyone it's kind of safe to work, but only if you're one of these, this qualifying group, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter how much people are throwing money at, at you. It, you're not going to go out and do it. I, I think there's a bigger issue now. Uh, with a lot of people that got super comfortable uh, working from home mm-hmm. or not working at all. And so those are the jobs that are, these people are seeking. And that uh, logistics in general are, not, you know, unless you're a coordinator, uh, by definition means you're out there doing it. You're physically doing the, you're lifting the box, you're transporting the box, you're packing the box. You're shipping the box, you're sorting the box, you're delivering the box. People have to do things to get it from A to B. That's the problem. You can't sit at home. It's not a work from home job. And, uh, you know, it's it's just my, my two cents is that if people were clamoring to do the job and the money's there, if people were clamoring to do it, then we wouldn't have a bunch of ships out there, you know, causing problems. I also think that there's, there's no contingencies, right? These ships will go anywhere to drop this off. Why they have to be sitting off the, the shore of Southern California waiting in line? Well, why can't they be diverted to Seattle or something? Yeah, go somewhere else. We have an entire coastline. And honestly, if I was Mexico, I'd be like, come down here. We'll ship it into California. You know, we'll drive it in. Because the problem is getting it off the ship. <laughs> you know, that's their problem. Everybody's got ports. So if... I don't know. I I think that a lot of people that we've put in charge to take care of this kind of stuff and to make sure this doesn't happen, let it happen. And they were asleep at the wheel. And now we all have to deal with it. That's my two cents. So let me give you some, um, give you some liners here from this BBC article because we got some time left. Um, the current price for 40 feet of container space. There's an acronym with that. Mr. Jones elucidated one of the last conversations we have more than 10 times the price of a year ago. So there is certain cases where if it costs you 10 times to ship it versus a year ago, then you're not going to make any profit. You're just not going to ship it. So some stuff Mm -hmm. is just hanging out at home and hasn't even gotten on a ship yet. Mm -hmm. There are some other problems considerably regarding who is actually contracting these spaces now. So small business has to kind of lump themselves into everybody else and kind of a general population thing of, you know, what, what kind of space can we get on one big ship? That's going to cause the same kind of separation from big business and small business that the lockdown did. Big business has to scale to stay open and pay their workers and test them every day. And so the little guy's going to get squeezed because they can't afford these exorbitant rates when a Lowe's, a Home Depot, or a Walmart has supply chain efficiencies. They they have enough capital that they can rent their own boats. And so it's not so much whether or not it can um, be offloaded or not. It's what you just talked about. And that every every minute that that boat is bobbing up and down in the water is is a minute that somebody's paying for it. Right. Um, well, you know, what's funny. Here, I thought, I thought what you were going with on that is that these ships are mega ships now and they're carrying more than they've ever carried before. And I'll tell you, they are enormous out there. I've been out on fishing my whole life and I've been going by these tankers. I can't ever remember seeing them this big and this stacked high. And, uh, I thought that's where you're going there with that point. So I was all teed up on this, this aviation example that I'm 
how they didn't fuck that, that no, up. I, I remember that. That was a, that was a good point that you made. Of you know, they knew the planes were getting bigger. They widened the runway. And That's I right. think there, there's got to be something to be said about that with the ports. If they have the cranes, they have the ability to bring these big boats in. I mean, I don't know if they have to dredge the channel or widen it, but yeah, it seems like they're well ready to handle the capacity in terms of the ship. It's just the fact that they can't get truck drivers, they can't get warehouse space. It, it's really starting to go towards uh, what you said in terms of a labor shortage. There's just mm-hmm. guys that don't want to drive trucks anymore. There are There are people that don't want to do these jobs. And it could be because they're getting unemployment or they got used to working from home or, uh, you know, we've talked about it many times, the balance of capital and labor is shifting such that labor has more pull in this market. And so if you want to drive a truck, you can probably make a lot more money than you used to. Oh, hell yeah. You still need truck drivers. Yep. Uh, so this one right here is a spokesperson from Maersk said, we have deployed more vessels and containers than prior to the pandemic, yet we still see unfortunate delays leading to missed sailings and missed capacity. And so a lot of it seems to be the bottleneck at the port, which would be easy to suggest that they didn't prepare well, but to what you're saying, they just don't have the warehouse space and they don't have the trucks. So some of it has to do with just in time, that whole concept of just in time inventory, I think has been tested. And it yes. doesn't handle crisis. No. So whatever your disaster recovery plan is, it cannot include just in time. I think that was, you, you always look back at the best times and think, they call it a halo effect, right? You look back and you go, oh, this is why we were successful. And you go, no, you were successful. And you went looking for why you were successful. And the halo effect said, this was the reason we were successful. A lot of that probably came down to luck. So just in time inventory is when things are going great. But, you know, eventually the shit hits the fan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's fascinating that you see like governors like DeSantis going out and saying, our ports are ready. We'll we'll take on whatever capacity you want to send our way. You know, he's using this as a political advantage. I'm not not making a political statement one way or another. I'm just saying that this is what you're going to see. You're going to see other countries, other states, and other ones standing up saying, I, I can handle it. Send it my way. Yeah. So you know, obviously wonder, you know, go down to San Diego, go up to San Francisco, go up to Seattle. Right. You know, maybe Portland starts to get into the business. There's, there's lots of areas where a boat can come into a space of water where a crane can be built. So the idea that it has to come through LA, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the interstate system is very robust in Los Angeles area. You've got the I-10, you've got the 15. So it does make sense that from a logistical standpoint, you've got arteries that can feed into the greater continent, but that doesn't suggest that you can't bring it down I-5 out of San Francisco. So I don't really know what, what the deal is. And from San Diego, you've got the 15, you've got the 8, you've got arteries that can feed. So I don't quite get it. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you up on this one, Leon, even though it's, you're calling bullshit. I think you've got some, you've got some logic behind your bullshit. Delays in ports are having knock-on effects on ship schedules. A couple of days hold up at one port can end up adding two weeks to a container ship's total journey time. The current pressures are creating awkward situations such as empty containers piling up at some ports while becoming scarce in others. So it's not so much that you can't get truckers in to pull the container off the boat. Once the container is empty and it comes back, you got no way to load it and stick it back on a boat to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually, that's fascinating. That's actually scary. You know, that, you know, one thing that I'm always concerned about is what is the difference in what are we importing versus exporting? And that, that's kind of a, a signal to the health of your country. And if uh, all the containers are empty on our side, you watch out. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know what the impact of a trade deficit is, this is what a trade deficit is, is there's more coming right. in than going out. That's right. So the, the final quote in the article says, all of the little things that go on a bicycle are made so cheaply in Asia, I can't see locally how we would ever be able to compete. It seems like we're trapped in the system. And that's true. Um, so my, my get-out-of-debt job that I held on to while I was waiting for my new day job was to sell appliances. Congratulations, and, by the way. 
Thank you so much. We're going to talk about it next episode when Mr. Jones is back because I want to tie it into our Ted Lasso episode. Nice. Um, what happens is everything from Korea is on hold, right? So Samsung, LG, anything coming in from Korea is, is understandably on hold. But then you go to some of these brands that have American names that have gigantic American decals on them. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, most of the components in these things are from China. So there are gigantic shells of appliances in Michigan that can't be finished because they need the components from China to finish the supply chain. So before you get into rah-rah America, you got to realize that most of the stuff that we final assembly doesn't all come from here. In fact, you can probably speak to this one better than I can, but isn't most of a Boeing jet done somewhere else? Uh, well, there's a fair amount. But yeah, a lot of the components, absolutely. Uh, especially when you get into the avionics are, are, are built other places. But yeah, the majority of the jet is built up in Seattle. Final, final assembly is done in the United States, right? Yeah. Like I, know, the, uh, I know Toyota ships over cars without glass so that the Americans yeah. can put glass in them. And now it's made in America. Mm -hmm. Well, I've heard that, you know, even uh, Ford and GM, a lot of their backlog on getting the new vehicles out, uh, they're, they're just sitting there missing the components that they need uh, a lot because so many of them are computerized now, right? We had this huge push to go electric, go electric, go electric. Well, where do you think those components are made? <laughs> we're gonna, one of these days, we're going to have a big topic about that because that, that falls in my wheelhouse. But um, it's an interesting problem that we're going to keep our eye on because it's, it's good conversation and certainly it's affecting us at the cash register. That wraps up business news. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Today's crank file comes to us from USA Today. Chlamydia is rapidly spreading among Australia's koalas. And now they're getting vaccinated for it. So oh, those out. Australians, they, they are forcing vaccinations left and right. Oh, well, the first thing I thought of, first thing I thought of was, the clap, but the clap is actually gonorrhea. So chlamydia is not the clap, but chlamydia is a transmitted disease. It's a sexually transmitted disease. So then I started laughing about Nehigh Park from the Chappelle show. And I think about that character that Snoop voiced, where he's like, I gotta go to the clinic. Why? It's my penis. It really burns when I urinate. How'd you get that, Dangle? From fucking. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. Oh, okay, we're pretty soon we're going to have to have a because Australia segment. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a lot. Of, all those fires must have lit something up and moved things around over there because they're not doing so well. They are the not. Begins. They Hundreds of koalas in Australia will receive a chlamydia vaccine in the coming months in hopes of helping the native species that has been plagued by the sexually transmitted disease. In humans. Chlamydia is a curable STD both men and women can get. If left untreated, it can cause serious and permanent damage to a woman's reproductive system. The same effects apply to koalas, which can only be found in the wild in Australia. The disease is rapidly spread among the koala population and is estimated to have infected over half of some of the marsupials' populations. It's a cruel disease that causes debilitating conjunctivitis, bladder infections, and at times infertility. Amber Gillett, veterinarian and research coordinator for the Australia Zoo Wildlife Hospital, said in a statement, although many koalas with chlamydia can be treated using traditional antibiotics, some animals cannot be saved due to the severity of their infection. That's fucked up. It's like the slowest transmission of an STD. I mean... Beyond a sloth, I don't think there's anything slower than a koala. <laughs> don't you think he or she would have enough time to go, there's something wrong here. I mean, these animals have incredible smell and stuff, right? Can't they pick up on well, something's going on here's here? Here's the thing is they're bears, right? Let's, let's get down to brass tacks. They're bears. Now, they may be cute and cuddly and little, but they're bears. They'll fuck you up. What I understand from, uh, from our mutual friend in high school is um and she's a she's a zoological lady mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, she says that they eat eucalyptus because it gets them high yeah. and so the eucalyptus gets them high which means they're always high which is why they move mm. so slow mm. 
So that's hilarious, high, actually. And then you go <laughs> romping around the treetops. Yeah, you're going to spread some shit. Like, this isn't a dormitory in Isla Vista. <laughs> hey, Magic 24, don't go eat eucalyptus. It's not going <laughs> to work for you. Learn, learn from the koalas. You don't mm-hmm. want, you don't want. Yeah, word to the bobs. Do not eat eucalyptus. It only works on bears. <laughs> While this vaccination will directly benefit each of the animals, the trial will also have a focus on the protection provided by vaccinations. So they're going to go after 400 koalas with this test vaccine to see if they can ditch the chlamydia. Mm. Uh, Australia has lost 30% of its koalas in just three years. Serious yeah, you business. know, this story actually isn't that surprising. I, I've recently been down to San Diego Zoo. That's right. You visited the big, zoo. Yeah, they have a lot of koalas down there. And it's a big, a big story when you're reading about them and they're talking about the chlamydia. And a lot of ones they have down there, they were rescued with chlamydia. So it's... Really? It's a big deal. Yeah, it's 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 no joke. I and and you know, if you see some of the images of the ones I said some of them couldn't be saved. I mean, it's it's ravaging these things. It's it's pretty sad. It's, yeah, sounds pretty true. I mean, we're we're giggling about it cuz an STD and everything and it is kind of funny. It'd be a little bit funnier if it was like crabs or something like that. <laughs> but no, it's it's just just plain old chlamydia. This is a serious problem. The Queensland Environment Minister, Megan Scanlon, said the state government is funding around $100,000 in hopes of helping one of the country's most iconic animals. That's the thing, is they're iconic. Mm-hmm. The koala is one of the great natural icons of Queensland. And to be able to make such huge strides in the vaccine rollout is testament to Queensland's scientific excellence. Good on you, Ozzy. See if you can figure is, that out. Save is the there virus. a vaccine for chlamydia for humans, too? Well, I would imagine if you can make one for bears, you better be able to make one for us. That'd be fucked up. Well, I mean, they should start distributing that right now in Isla Vista. Let's just, let's do one thing right in this fucking country and be proactive. We know what's going to happen. Learn from the bears. Give these college students the vaccine. All right, we got a koala vaccine for all you freshmen out there. (laughs) <laughs> Although many koalas with chlamydia can be treated using traditional antibiotics, some animals cannot be saved due to the severity of their infection. So mm-hmm. saith Leon of the San Diego Zoo. Sad news. <laughs> you know what would cheer us up? Rinkfell? Florida. Oh, Florida. Because Today's because Florida comes to us again from the BBC. This is an interesting are important. I've, I've been holding on to this one since the end of July because this one was fascinating, just not as fascinating as the other Florida stories that we get. Uh, there's so much coming out of the state. We're going to have content from forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just read the headline and then we can sit on that for a bit. Man in contraption washes up in Florida after trying to run on water. <laughs> For those oh. of you home, this is a rigged hamster wheel with uh, what are these bumpers? These are boat bumpers, right? Yeah, boat bumpers and, or buoys. Yeah, and these look like uh, sitting balls and uh, a lot of flotation devices on this little makeshift hamster wheel. Um, guy's name is Reza Baluki, calls the contraption his bubble. A man who wanted to run on water from Florida to New York has washed up on the Floridian coast in a large hamster wheel-like contraption. You didn't get very far. (laughs) Reza Baluki told, I hope I'm saying that right, I don't want to massacre the dude's name, but he told local media he was traveling a thousand miles north from Florida's east coast for charity. However, he ended up 30 miles south of his starting point in St. Augustine. Negative yardage, I know. Mr. Baluki, Balucci, uh, encountered complications that brought him back to shore and with safe, with no injuries, according to the county sheriff's office. The U.S. Coast Guard then came to help. The sheriff's office added to ensure the vessel and occupant are U.S. Coast Guard compliant for their safety moving forward. Images taken by the sheriff's office show a large human-sized cylindrical container with multiple floating devices attached to each side. 
Uh, in his defense, he said he was raising money for public services. He added that he tried to make journeys in the contraption, which he calls his bubble before. In 2014, he had to be rescued from a similar contraption near St. Augustine. And then this two is years the best later, part. he again <laughs> had to be rescued off the coast of Jupiter. I will kill people anything you want to do. Do it, he told Fox. <laughs> Don't listen to anyone. Chase your dreams. <laughs> and I gotta say, Leon, after three attempts achieving negative yardage, maybe this isn't the dream you want to chase. This is not the hill you want to die on. <laughs> you know, so often you hear that message from somebody who succeeded. <laughs> very, <laughs> very rarely do you hear it from a constant failure. <laughs> it doesn't roll off your tongue quite the same way, does it? Now I'm kind of like, well, I guess, you know, if I don't I've succeed the first time. I've three times, but you got to do it. Don't listen. Chase your dreams. <laughs> Look, this guy, you know, it's cool doing it for the right reasons, at least on, on paper. Uh, I think looking at this contraption, it's probably not really for charity. It's for glory and uh, the glory of being in a hamster wheel. It's absolutely an asinine looking contraption and nobody would look at that and say, you're going to, you're going to make it to New York. So it's, it it's a freak freak show. This doesn't really fit the normal profile of our Florida segment because this guy is well aware of how silly it looks. And yet he is a dreamer and a mm -hmm. compulsive optimist. And I gotta, I gotta go with that. I gotta go with, I go with optimism because most of these stories you get, they finally pull the person aside and he goes, what? And you're like, no, you had to have some idea of what was going on. What? This guy seems very, uh, very self-aware. So <laughs> it is a postcard for failure, though. It's what this is. <laughs> I feel. I, I, I think that we just need to squash this story, keep it from our children and not, and use positive examples going forward. This guy. This guy. This guy. <laughs> this guy's weird. Awkward. Oxford. Like an ape. All right. Ape. <laughs> Hashtag postcard for failure. That wraps up the crank file. Now I know why we haven't cured cancer. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years. It's the mileage. This one comes to us today from Danny, parenting. Danny, 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 Danny. Yeah, thank, thank you for teeing that up, Leon. Well done. <laughs> this one comes to us from parenting.carsforkids.org. Why kids interrupt and what parents can do about it. So this one comes from an Instagram post that I think I said to you guys once upon a time that we all laughed at, which was basically, um, welcome to parenthood, find a hobby that can be enjoyed in five minute increments <laughs> because that's what happens when you become a parent. So you're going to have kids that are like, mommy, mommy, mom, 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 mommy, mommy. Oh, Stewie Hi. nailed it. Nailed Hi. it. And family guy. And that scene is so funny for so many reasons, but there is not a parent out there who cannot empathize with that scene. They, I got to go back to episode 39. It's you're calling out Roy Kent and Ted Lasso. It's, they just want to be a part of your life. Yeah. And you can't yep. get mad at him, but at some point it's like, I got fucking shit to do. <laughs> so uh, here's the article opens up with a really strong, solid opener. Here we go. Kids interrupt their parents until they learn not to do so. Strong language. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's just a normal part of being a child and having something important to say. Children find it hard to wait. That's why parents should work with kids to teach them when it is okay to interrupt and when it is not. Teaching children not to interrupt means giving them the tools that can help them wait their turn, such as a signal that means soon I will finish and then I can listen to you. 
the article goes on, sometimes kids interrupt because they don't realize they are being rude or inconsiderate. At other times, kids interrupt because they feel that what they have to say is very important, so important that it must be said right away. Finally, kids interrupt because they want attention. And when you're Mm -hmm. deep in conversation with somebody else or on your phone, that's my ad lib, it feels to children like you're not paying attention to them. And so the article goes on to talk about why kids interrupt, the pressing need for attention, and then what to do about it. What are your thoughts on this, Leo? It's very relevant for me, and it's something that we've been dealing with a lot right now. Uh, uh, She's five years old for the last year, and I think we're going to have to deal with it for a while. It's very much whatever is fresh and hot on her mind. She has to get it out right now, no matter what you're talking about. To the point where it's not where she just talks anymore. She moves right up into your face. She'll grab both of your cheeks and talk (laughs) into your face while you're having a conversation to override the conversation. And (laughs) what what this is described here is, you know, you have to teach them that. Right. So we have been doing that for a year. Yeah, it doesn't work. Not (laughs) not with my kid. all, all it does is fill her with shame that she didn't realize that that was the time to talk and that we have to. And so it's, it's, it's hard. I know she doesn't understand. There's social cues that we have learned that we didn't realize we learned or how we know it. You, you, and you know, when you're off with a rhythm with somebody uh, that you've been talking to for a long time and you, you talk on each other, right? A lot of it happens a lot when you first started doing these Zoom meetings. People talked on top of each other. They, mm-hmm. they didn't know this new cadence of mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. people speak to each other. And and if you think we talk to each other the same way on Zoom that we talk to each other when we're sitting next to each other, you're wrong. Record the conversation. It's not the same. So it's just a learned behavior they have to pick up on on the cadence and the and the natural rhythm that you, we speak on and know that. This is coming to an end. I'm about, it's my turn to talk after this or contribute. It's, it's, uh, and I, and I understand that, but at the same time, you, as you can only get interrupted so many times by the, it doesn't matter how cute the kid is, you're going to want to strangle them at the end of it. So, and so really what it should be, this article would, you know, I know it's trying to teach parents how to deal with it better, but how, you know, how do we, how do we recognize better and i don't know if you have any good stories because your kids are older than mine but how do how do we recognize that this is going to happen and pause it before you get to the point of frustration or temper tantrum or because all those scenarios that you you called out are absolutely ones that that we've dealt with where this is something that is extremely important to her and she's got to get it out right now and i just didn't even know you know, I was, I purposely was not paying attention to your conversation. So mine's more important than yours. All those things absolutely happened to me. So what, 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 what do you have? What, what have you done to help? Cause I would say your boys are, at least when I was over there, were pretty good at kind of respecting the adults and, and speaking when it was their turn. And they almost, I even saw one of them, give your wife a little a little tug while while she was talking to triple b like hey i have something to say i'm over here when when you're ready and and to talk to me i have something to say i i i actually took note of that right away uh your youngest one did it boom boom so so i i want to agree with everything that you just said uh and i wonder if there's there's two parts to to so i want to unpack that because you asked a you asked a very layered question leon so i don't i want to Let's slice this thing up in elevator action levels here. Part A. Um, yes. To everything that you said. As for your questions, let's break that one down. So one, uh, some of it might be that you have an only child. And so you two are everything because she doesn't have a viable distraction. She's got the dogs, right? But the dogs don't have that level of interaction with her that maybe a sibling would. Interesting. Yeah. And my boys have each other. And so they don't necessarily bombard us all the time. Um, there's a flip side to that is they bombard each other. And that's when fighting happens because two boys will inevitably get violent. Two, I did recognize that 
And I enjoyed it. It certainly made me proud as a father to have such a well-mannered kid. But I think part of it was he doesn't know you. And so Mm. you're a stranger. And until he got used to you, he would probably be very polite around a stranger just because of that discomfort. I mean, you're only, you only hung out with us that one night. Yeah. Um, But if you recall, our kids came together and disappeared. Like the in, kids had no seconds. problem coming together, and then the adults went outside, and we had our time. Uh, you know, a little brown and a lot of laughs. So it's, I don't know that you could say it's any level of discipline that we get because there is still the occasional, and even from the nine year old, it's dad, dad, come see this, dad. This is the best thing ever. It's okay, buddy. It's yeah, it's wonderful. You know, and I, I have to be fair. I think, uh, even modestly speaking, I think my child is gifted in mechanical engineering. The shit that he puts together with Legos would blow anybody's mind. But again, in his universe, it's the best thing ever. I look at it and I go, that's, that's fucking complicated, pal. But again, I got shit to do right now. You know, I have to figure out this bill or I have to answer this person. You know, I don't always have time to go through the intricacies of the Clone Wars universe with you. Um, <laughs> so what, what we came to with, with my wife and I is we have a term we call talking time. And talking time is code for wait until we're done. Uh-huh. And so if you have a code that the kids can understand, I mean, they don't have to like it, but at least if they understand it, that's kind of what this article is going towards is you want to give the children some translation of what's going on such that they know eventually they'll get their turn. Uh-huh. Um, the article says parents can help children learn not to interrupt. One way to do this is to help kids understand that all people have feelings and needs. A parent might turn to a child who's interrupting and explain, Mrs. Smith is just like you. She has strong feelings about what she wants to say. And once children begin to sense what others feel, it becomes easier for them to wait their turn. When children do control the impulses to interrupt, praise them. Uh, That shows that they have empathy and and warmth. So if you do run into a a thing where little do-butter actually waits her turn to speak, make sure you acknowledge that. And praise it. And that just goes back to regular positive reinforcement lessons we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. All uh, right. No magic bullet. Attention, of course. They, they want attention, their kids. I mean, you, you, you've echoed this many, many times. It's natural to feel some irritation when a child interrupts you at work or during a conversation. You may feel like shushing your child. Um, Dr. Lieberman suggests that instead of reacting, parents should first ask themselves what is really going on inside the child's head. Do they have what they feel is a pressing need? And again, this is an interesting part. One, is it the world to them? Because when they're little, there is no world outside the room. There is no Mm -hmm. mortgage. There is no taxes. There is no relationship with the neighbors. There are no coworkers. There is no boss. They live in this tiny little microcosm of, Uh, I can't find this one Lego piece I need to finish my design. That to them is a fucking meteor coming for the earth. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting concept of, you know, if you have the patience and the time, this is where empathy comes in. But again, I, I fall back on what you were saying. It's like, well, you know, life isn't fair. Life moves pretty quick. You don't always get what you want. There are going to be times when you got to shut the kid down and say, now is not your time. Your time will come. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we throw around the word patience all the time. And one thing I, I'm very cognizant of is that time is not the same for both of us. Yeah. Right. Uh, a minute to me, I've been through millions of them, you know, a minute to her, she's been through hundreds of thousands of them. So it's a lot longer. And the, the difference between how we perceive time. Do you remember? I mean, I go back as long as I can. I, I think I remember my kindergarten days. I, I actually remember thinking these are eternities. Eternities. <laughs> I remember thinking school years were eternities. And which is probably why we think of them so fondly. You know, there's a, there's a four year period of your life that most of us, at least our group for sure, hold in a different regard than the rest of our lives, right? A different four-year period of our life. That's high school. Why? Why do we keep going back every 10 years or five years and visiting these people that we spent four years together? 
I spent 15 years in, in my last job. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be a 10 year reunion for that. Although I spent a lot more war time with them mm-hmm. because that was the, that time was so much more precious at the time. Right. And it was so much going on and every minute meant something different. I also think that's what translates into that phrase that we hear over and over and over, which is, you know, spend this time with your kids. Don't let it pass you. You'll blink and it'll be gone because time is accelerating as we get older and older and older. So it's asking somebody where a minute is literally an eternity to wait a minute is a very hard thing for them to do. The, the article finishes up with eight things to consider tools and tips, talk about necessary interruptions, discuss manners and the right way to interrupt, catch your child in the act, make children wait, agree on a signal. That's what we did. Talking time as a signal. Uh, make a special busy box. That's an interesting idea. Take a shoe box and fill it with toys and games that are only to be used when you are talking to others and then hand it to the kids. So that's like a, a ready-made distraction. Which is interesting. Oh, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it really satisfies the long-term need, but it's effective. Uh, prepare your child in advance. That's something that I subscribe to, and then model good behavior, which is what all parents should be doing. You know, your children are always, always watching you, and so whatever you do, they're going to consider normal. And so, if you're cutting corners or you're cheating or you're too lazy to do it the right way, guess what? Your kids are watching. Oh, this is a good one. It's timely for me. I, I'm right smack in the middle of having to deal with this. So, so um, this is straight out of Ted Lasso. A preschooler, on the other hand, just wants to belong. They want to feel part of the conversation, to feel relevant. And so if you have a way to include your child in the conversation, do so. But you can still offer a gentle reminder that interrupting somebody while they're speaking is rude. So I've done that. I've done that. We've been having conversations about how we might want to improve the house or how we want to approach a given project. And the kids come up and they interrupt and we, we engage them. What do you think? What? What color do you think this should be? What? And then eventually they get bored and they go away. And so it can be an effective distraction to actually give them relevance. Guess what? Adults are boring. Uh, this is a different <laughs> way to look at it. Something to think about. Anyway, that wraps up parenting. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is time for Leon Loathes. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Danny, we're running a little long today, so I'll try to keep my rant shorter than normal. Here's, uh, you know that I've lived in a few places, right? Lived in a few places here in California. Word. I've lived in Colorado. Lived in Ohio lived in Florida, uh, visited many other places, but anywhere I said I lived, uh, I also had a driver's license starting here in the state of California where I had to take the driver's exam and the written exam. And then when I got to Florida, they said, Oh, you know how to drive. You have a driver's license. Okay. We'll just, uh, we'll just swap it. Here you go. Our rules are a little bit different, but you'll figure it out because I can take this driver's license and drive anywhere in this country with no problem whatsoever. Anybody can, right? That's, that's what we've decided as a, as a country, you can drive anywhere you want to. Then I went to Colorado, got a Colorado license, same thing. No test. Here's your license. Ohio, no test. Here's your license. Let me look at your record. Yep. You're good. No test required. Here's your license. Come back to California. The only place where I've originally taken the test. And these motherfuckers (laughs) have the arrogance (laughs) to think that their rules are so different than the rest of this country's that I have to take another test when my 
my original test. Go back to your records. I took it here. You know how to fucking drive here. You know how to drive everywhere. I've been everywhere. Also, by the way, I'm a pilot. I can fly. You motherfuckers. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you you get to change or be so arrogant that, well, we, we have to administer the test here. It's just we're so different than everybody else. I mean, you're going to have to. You're going to have to. Which, by the way, uh, other places, uh, for example, uh, Ohio, there's uh, you're not allowed to U-turn there. No U-turns. Don't have to do that. Hmm. Uh, you're not allowed to. It's something that uh, a lot of people don't realize when you get there. And I was somebody called out right when I got there. No U-turns. So when you take away laws, I make sense. I don't think that is even in the case here. Like it, to me, it seems like virtually everything's legal here other than talking on your cell phone. So I don't get it. I, I just, I just want to take this time to say that California is the most arrogant fucking state. <laughs> and we think that they're, better or different than everybody else and have to hold everybody to a different standard. And it's ridiculous. And that's all I have to say about that. The largest economy in the world. Recall the DMV. It is that's the what I want. Well done, sir. <laughs> I don't have anything to say otherwise. I, I left California, so obviously it wasn't important enough for me to stay. So I'm not. Do you have an Arizona see. license? Yeah. Did you have to go and take the test again there? No, I did not, sir. No, no, you didn't. Because uh, they are fact, reasonable. So I'm going to tack a little bit of uh, a little bit of insult onto injury. When I went to sell my vehicle, because uh, there was a period during the move where we moved out of the house and then we rented back to the guy that we sold the house to. And during that period, the lease on my car ended. So I bought, um, I bought an SUV that we affectionately refer to as the bus. I bought it from my dad, paid cash for it, mm -hmm. switched it over. It became mine. And then after we got to Arizona, we decided to buy the wife a car. And so we were going to, I was going to take her old car and we were going to sell the bus back. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Scratch that. We wanted to buy the bus officially from him. And so we went to the California DMV and I was ready to buy it. And then the guy at the DMV slid across the paper and he went, it's going to be 1200 bucks. And I said, what? I said, I'm just, we're just transferring the title. He said, no, you need to pay sales tax. And I said, oh, well, I don't have $1,200. So I'll see you later. And yeah. I left. A couple of weeks later, I was in Arizona. And I realized I got to get this done. So when we're in there doing the switchover of, um, we're going to switch. We definitely have to switch her car over. We had to switch our licenses over. I said, um, I said, I got to buy this car. Can I do it here? And they went, yeah, sure. And I said, how much is that going to be? Nothing. And I said, what do you mean nothing? He said, well, in Arizona, all private transactions are private. And I said, just like that. And she said, yeah, just like that. Welcome to Arizona. And she handed me the title on the spot from a Unreal. printer right behind the counter. And I said, you don't, need, you don't need to watermark this or, or stamp it with the golden fingers of the governor. And she laughed and she said, no, nope, we're good. We'll process it all in three days. Because it's completely reasonable. That's why it's completely reasonable. And uh bonus for Arizona is the DMV outsources. And so if oh, yeah? you want to go get something done, you don't have to go to the DMV. You may have to pay a $20 service fee, but there's no line. You walk in, you get it done. It's digitized. It's all you can get the license plate there at the office. That's awesome. So that is awesome. Whenever you want to move out, we'll, <laughs> we'll do the show live. Turn down the heat in the summer. Think about it's it. actually, it's beautiful right now. I mean, even, I'm looking at your weather and your weather's actually colder than ours. That's uh, wonderful. Actually, finally, triple B's. Happy with our weather. <laughs> well, you got your hot tub, you got your hiking trails. What's not to like? Uh, 95. Uh, not really. Not really. Not too much. And I mean, I tell recently a lot of them are close because yeah. of the oil spill. Yeah, of course. So, that sucks. I mean, I go that down and play volleyball, but 
I want to swim really, in there. That really makes me happy to know that that volleyball game is still going. Uh huh. Because it's been around for twenty years. Yeah, I, I, he's told me about it, so I've gone out there and I realized, oh, I am forty. Fuck. <laughs> Man, I thought some of those you guys go out there, you're sprightly. With. They got to be in their 60s by now. Oh, they're old. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's a good game, though. Good on you, sir. That wraps up our Brown Bulletin for today. Uh, for all you Bobs out there that want to participate in the show, you can give us a call at 602-529-4562. You can email the show at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Leave a message for Danny. Leave a message for Leon. You can even leave a message for Mr. Jones. Uh, you can give us ideas for content. You can refute anything that we say on the show. Please, we want to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, directions that we can take the show. We do want to hear from our audience and engage with you. If you like the show, please share it with others and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's it for this week. And we hope to see you next time, Leon. Same brown Danny. time. Same, same brown, brown channel. channel. Bottom This place is dead anyway, man.